usually that's the big thing that we do is we do a lot of proactive notifications. So our goal is to let the customer know when something bad happens before they notice and making sure that we let them know that we're already on top of it. Welcome to the Hyper Engage podcast. We are so happy to have you along our journey. Here, we uncover bits of knowledge from some of the greatest minds in tech. We unearth the hows, whys, and whats that drive the tech of today. Welcome to the movement. Hey, greetings, everybody. This is Adil from Hyper Engage Podcast. We have our co-host, Taylor, and a special guest, uh, Patrice. Uh, I mean, it's been pretty long that we were thinking of having somebody uh, from businesses like these, a very diverse and unique kind of technologies in terms of serving specifically on a very high level to the fintech. Thank you very much, Patrice, uh, for showing and taking the time today. Well, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Great. Uh, great. Patrice, uh, you know, before we move forward and dig in deep into uh, what kind of operations you have uh, at your uh, business technology, and why not we just start off with how you started this journey? What is your uh, passion and what is your why of jumping into the customer facing uh, you know, operations and you know, what kind of framework uh, you had back then when you started? with this business. And I also see uh, you've been uh, part of some uh, venture uh, venture capitalist firms too, and you've been a uh, seed investor yourself. So give us a little dive in uh, into all of your prior experience too. Thank you. Uh, sure. So pretty much I got into technology like in the 2000s, right in the bubble, obviously a bunch of startups, bunch of opportunities. So that's really what got me into technology at the time. It was more on the pure technical side as a software developer, kind of system engineer. Uh, after that, I moved into consulting for a little bit. So as technical consultant, then did a lot of pre-sales, went into sales a little bit. So that's really when I start having that customer-facing experience. Um, and most of the beginning of my career was in Europe. I worked in Monaco in France for a while. And then at one point, my company asked me to relocate to the US, to the Bay Area. Then I moved uh, got back into pre-sales, into supporting customers, and then uh, the whole idea of consulting came back. So we created a consulting group, pretty much kind of like that was like the high-level consultants that we had, a kind of like an escalation path at, uh, at the time. And uh, yeah, after that, it was just creating new teams, new services. Uh, we The company I was with went into security, so we created a managed service. So then that was something totally new, our managed service that means you're handling everything for the customer. So that was brand new for us. So spent a lot of time there building the business, which was super successful for the company. It was like the fast growing business line. Uh, I've done that for a little bit, then went into uh, managing services and support products as well on how we monetize services and support, uh, managed services and uh, yeah, after 15 years being at large public companies, being a vice president of services and support, then uh, took a break and went back to startup life. And to your point, that it, uh, that was a little bit when I started investing in, in a company that was a time series database, worked there for a year, was an advisor, uh, decided to invest in the company because I think the tech was quite unique. Uh, in the meantime, I had a VC uh, that reached out to me to be an advisor for their Web3 and security, in particular, and everything that's coming up around the metaverse as well. So that was another 
interests that are overlaps a little bit with my current role at Arcos Labs, where we do a lot of uh, security and fraud for all the Web3 platforms like Roblox and, and others that are out there. So that's that was also kind of like a lot of those synergies coming together and right timing. And and pretty much now I'm running yeah customer success for Arcos Labs, which as you mentioned, we're very big in the fintech space, in gaming and and a few other verticals as well. So that's uh, that's a little bit my journey from starting technical, being in customer-facing roles, sales, and all the way up to really owning the customer at this point. Love so it. beautiful. What what caused the spark to transition from such big companies to go back into the startup life? So I, I enjoy and I had a great career, as I say, kind of spending 15 years at a company gets you got to the, I guess, higher level that I could have imagined for at the beginning. I think the the bigger thing is that when companies start growing like single digits, um, the flexibility to change things and move fast uh, are very complicated. Um, for example, to do just changing a packaging on something or just release a new product or get roll out a new idea, the amount of effort and coordination and buying that you need to, you need to get from the whole organization makes things very slow. It's We're talking like not months, we're talking years in some cases if you want to release something. So uh, just to go through the product release process that we had at the time was something that it's, it will take, yeah, somewhere between 12 to 18, 24 months, depending on how complex it is and how much planning you have to do in advance and get all the buy-in from all your peers and all the all the other groups. So um, yeah, I, I, I went, as I say, 15 years is, is a long time. When you start at a company, you're 400 people, you have the feeling that things are moving really fast. And then you can see that growth starts slowing down and a lot of more process and all that happens. And then you see like, yeah, just the energy and the vibe to do new things. Uh, the appetite is starts kind of yeah diminishing over time. So that was that was really like the trigger for me was again going back to a small structure. Um, I had to find the right size as well. Like the first one that I mentioned, where I invested, um, I was like employee number eight. So it was a lot more hands on than what I initially expected, which was a good experience for a year, but. Uh, uh, I'm very pragmatic and I was doing a lot of technical work and honestly, I haven't been in that technical field for years. So getting back into it, um, my own realization was I'm not as good as you. You can hire a very good engineer out of the street or someone that has more technical skills than I do. I think my skill set is a little bit more on kind of like at the next level when you need to build or scale up a business. So, so that's when I transitioned to Arcos at the time where... Um, I joined, I think we were like 90 people. We're a little bit shy to 200 now. So that was more a little bit my sweet spot where, again, same playbook. We started building the managed services, monetizing, building a customer success organization and scaling it up, which was, I think that's a little bit more my sweet spot. And the fact that we were in hyper growth mode, we doubled revenue last year. We we're on track to do similar this year. So I think those are, again, the ability to change things fast, see the impact mm -hmm. and and keep running. I think that's that's really what excites me. So um, right for now, I, I'm good in that in that spot. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. I, I'm so much. Uh, I would say I'm so much excited to uh, get my head around the customer journey. Let's let's take one of your biggest customers, PayPal. Like they're leading 
the fintech. What does the customer journey look like for uh, for a product like this? Because uh, I've seen, I've, I've been looking around tech. We we ha- we know a lot of legacy businesses that are competing you in the market. But how do you stand out, and what is the journey that 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 you have defined for? Let's say you can take an example for any customer, so for our audience to understand. So yeah, I think that we're lucky because we we don't have to deal with scaling challenges that much. I think if we look at our customer base, we are somewhere around like the 75 customer range right now. Most of them are Fortune 500. As you named, they're going to be like the PayPal's, all recognizable brands. Uh, And the big differentiator that we have is because we only have like 75 customers and we're really in that kind of like enterprise tier. All those customers are very strategic. Then we can provide the full managed service and white glove treatment. And to your point, like we're competing with a lot of, solutions that have been out there that don't provide that level of support and engagement. And we see that all the time. Uh, we had a few major takeaways from, uh, from competitors, in particular, large companies. And uh, you can see that even if they're using cloud platforms and security solutions like Google, when they shift to us, the engagement that we have with the team being close to the customer, like the expertise, the extra amount that we provide, it really makes a difference from them. Because uh, again, those businesses are here to scale and make money. They are a little bit in a different approach. They they cover like all the tiers. Um, some of them, they do like very small SMB businesses all the way to enterprise. And they have a hard time figuring out how to serve all the different tiers. And the fact that we are very focused on kind of like those top tier accounts uh, then makes our life easier. If we look at our average mm-hmm. AOR, I think we're somewhere in the 250K range AOR. So that gives you a sense about like the average size of our customers that is is quite big from that perspective. So, mm-hmm. so that makes at least my life easier in my engagement because then you can really focus on kind of- Focus on those limited enterprise accounts. So. Uh, now you you guys have uh, account managers like dedicated account managers because you're serving more more of a high touch model, right? So we have a, a lower ratio than most of the CS organizations. Uh, two reasons for that: one is because we're managed service, we are in line, we protect our business, so there's always a lot of activity going on, meaning that there is going to be like fraud attempts, attacks. So uh, we have that ongoing engagement with customers. Uh, some of our large customers, we have a shared Slack integration with them. You can see that there's like 30, 50 conversations that they going on with them just because we're really an extension of their SOC and their teams. So that gives the level of engagement, obviously. So if we look at the structure that we have, we're going to have like an account executive uh, that is going to be focusing on the commercial aspects. Uh, we're going to have one CSM. Uh, for our strategic accounts, we usually have one CSM for five uh, accounts. But again, if we look at some of the accounts that are quite large, like Microsoft, then uh, Microsoft is not really one account. Is there's just like multiple properties underneath it. Uh, and then as we go into the lower tiers, we're kind of like in the ratio of somewhere between like five and 10, um, those two kind of large customers. But again, it really comes down in the security world about how active your customers are. So we talked a little bit about uh, kind of the metaverse and the gaming platforms, a lot of kids, a lot of monetization going on. So they're like an easy target. People go after them. So a lot of activity going on there. Uh, I think 
some of the other verticals, maybe a little bit less, but uh, yeah, it really comes down to, I think most active ones are gaming, social and fintech. That's where we see a lot of the, a lot of the focus. And then, yeah, some of the other ones, I will say more enterprise, it's, we're just kind of like the insurance, just to make sure that nothing bad happens, but it's a, it's kind of like a one, once in a while time, we're going to see something abnormal going on versus <laughs> say, all the hot brands. It happens like multiple times a day that we, we get it. Hey, what's going on here? Like we see something, you know, that's part of the cheese help. <laughs> yeah. And I will say that's, that's really it when you're banner service. And as I say, you're in line and usually that's the big thing that we do is we do a lot of proactive notifications. So our goal is to let the customer know when something bad happens before they notice and making sure that we let them know that we're already on top of it and here's what we're doing and just keep them posted. So as I say, that whole proactiveness builds a whole different relationship with some of our competitors that have automated platforms because what they're going to tell you is like, hey, we noticed something, you figure it out versus uh, a little bit our approach, which is, hey, we noticed something, here's what the investigation is telling us, here's what we're going to do about it, and here's how we can prevent that from happening in the future. So you have really like that extension. And I would say all the feedback, if we look at our NPS core, our G2 reviews, our CSAT surveys, like we're, we really have our best in class rating across the board. And I think, yeah, I guess the challenge for us will be how we scale that as we keep growing. And that's, that's an area where we're focusing on trying to identify what are the tasks that are not high value tasks for the customer. Uh, I think what we, what I want to leverage the team for is like our expertise, what we learn from our customers about the technology, about the fraud space and how we can kind of like spread that information across the customers, but really try to automate everything that comes down to analysis and reporting. And because those are not valuable Absolutely. tasks, like Absolutely. we don't... I don't want people just to fill spreadsheets and do copy and paste, exactly. make reports. So if, if we can automate that and really focus on the on the value added items, I think that's our path to scaling. Absolutely. So that is why uh, I was thinking in uh, the back of my mind that you know, uh, for the post sales operations, for the success operations, why not? I mean, I'm not sure if you haven't done it yet or uh, you are thinking of it. Why not? You have a dedicated customer success tool like we've got. Friends, a lot of uh, tools like Catalyst, Whiteley, Gainside, they're the legacy tool to Tango and all these guys. They've been featuring and sharing their stories and challenges and yep. takeaways that we took. Like I was thinking that for, for a high-touch model, it is equally important uh, to have everything centralized and get your uh, account executives a data that matters and that drives action. What do you think about it? So, so yeah, we, we're actually using Churn Zero right now. And... Uh, the reason why we choose Churn Zero, we were evaluating uh, GameSide, Tango, and Catalyst as well, because you mentioned them. Uh, the reason why we choose Churn Zero, it actually goes back to your initial question, which is about the customer journey. And the fact that uh, in Churn Zero, you have the ability just to define that customer journey and trigger plays at each point. Oh, got it, got it. So you are basically integrating and pointing events, and you're, you're defining it yourself as a customer. Correct. So we, we define the customer journey and we say like from the moment that actually now we're even extending that when we do a POV. So the pre-sales team are using churn zero as well. So mm -hmm. when we do a, 
a POC all the way up to when we sign the contract. And when it comes to the renewal, we have defined all the actions. So you're going to have like your QBRs, you're going to have like your monthly checkpoints. We're tracking all the customer activity, like usage attacks. So we're building that into turn zero. And like that whole journey is, um, it's the two reasons why we use them is like for those journeys and those playbooks that we can integrate in turn zero that the other competitors didn't have something built in. You had yeah. to buy like a project management tool on top of it. Mm -hmm. uh, the other aspect is because they have uh, NPS surveys integrated as well. So that makes, mm -hmm. again, for me, it's one less vendor to manage. I have everything into a single platform. Uh, Absolutely. I, yeah. I was, I was, I just forgot because I listened to Andrew Michael a lot, like his podcast. They're doing pretty good for quite some years now so it's just it was just some thought that came up uh that's good so you have a dedicated customer platform success platform and that manages all the data and it basically takes all the events from your crms and you know all these three tools like product usage data as well and all of that and then and that figures the challenge is not so much choosing the platform it's actually doing the whole integrations because all those vendors make it sound that it's very easy <laughs> And you're going to have everything <laughs> into one place and you have all those dashboards. And then the reality is like, once you start a project, then doing all the integrations and the data correlation, that's, that's really the time consuming part. That's so we have, time consuming. Yeah, we have someone dedicated on our business operations team just to, just to manage kind of. Just to do the initial integration and then make sure the data is pointing yeah. in the right direction. And if anything changes in the CRM, make sure it's, it's correct. Yeah. For the customer success team. That's great. Uh, you know, having a centralized tool, do you have any like uh, custom objects for any external sources? Let's say PayPal is having some or Microsoft having some press release and uh, just on the point to find a touch point for your account executive, executive to build a conversation, to build a better uh, relationship or maybe have a different touch. Do you also track external data sources like uh, press releases like news is uh, acquisition news like any funding anything like that like from Crunchbase from LinkedIn from all these or you're just managing uh, so, so we, haven't, we haven't operationalized that uh, the one thing that we do is for our customers uh, as I say we have internal Slack channels and we have a subscription to Google News for those particular customers which is it's the basic version. Uh, one of the things that we're looking into is um, um, kind of like the social watching brands. Uh, the reason is because a lot of the account compromise and security issues, they tend to pop up very fast on Reddit, on Twitter. And that's, uh, so we look at a few vendors just to integrate that and see if that happens in some of the flows where we're protecting the customer, then that could help us to take action. Uh, the other part for us that it's also interesting, it's, not so much about the news for expansion. I think those are those are given, but it's the fact that because we're in line and we're protecting secure events, a lot of times we're going to see a increase in traffic or activity for a customer. And a lot of times they forget to tell us uh, what's going on. So we have a few streaming platforms. We have a uh, few e-commerce vendors. Uh, you mentioned PayPal. Like you can imagine that when there is a e-commerce event, then you can see PayPal transactions going on as well. So that gives us a little bit of visibility. The reason why we look at Google News is just seeing, hey, is there something that could explain that increase in traffic? Because a lot of times the customers, either they forget to tell us or they're so big that they don't know if there's a marketing campaign going on on their side. So a lot of times we're going to raise that and they're going to say, oh, let me talk to my marketing team. And 
oh yes, they just did a promotion and they didn't tell us about it. So <laughs> a, a lot of times we're bridging the gap with a lot of internal yeah. They're like, hey, is that expected? And they're like, eh, let me let me figure this one out. That How do you so manage smart. that? Because so I mean, that's something that you know, these companies are so large, um, obviously back to the point where there's so many different silos in these companies. How do you, I mean, you not finding out about something is, could be a detriment. So you, how do you stay on top of that? How do you like integrate all of these things? So a, a lot of what we do is, as I say, the practical learning. So the moment that we see something abnormal, we're going to ask the question to the customer. And if we know that it's something malicious, we're going to say like, hey, this seems like an attack and we're good, but if we don't find any particular attack vector and we just see an increase in activity, then the question for them is, hey, is there something going on that we're not aware of? And uh, as I say, a lot of times it's those yes. are large companies, you have the security team and the operations team, they don't talk to the marketing team. And then it, it's always good because it shows that, again, we're on top of it and we're monitoring their traffic and we're really caring for them and we're always being proactive. So I think that's that's a positive side of from it. From a customer success standpoint, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, right. I think on the customer side, those teams, uh, sometimes they get annoyed because they're like, oh, we don't know, like they haven't told us. So <laughs> You again. <laughs> you again. And, uh, so again, it's, it's more a customer by customer, but I think most of the customers appreciate that and appreciate that we're, we're letting them know and sometimes they're happy that we flagged something because they were not aware of it and that allows them to just review their internal processes. Some other customers, they're like, yeah, like, don't bother me with that. Like, if, if, it's, if it's not a security threat, then yeah, just ignore it. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> it, again, we just have to adapt and it goes back to the white glove treatment and making sure that we tailor the service to every customer. Like once you understand what your customer wants, then if it's within something acceptable and is not going to derail your current processes, then yeah, you can adapt to it. How do you, how do you, um, def how do you see um, empower, empowering your internal team to be so detail oriented and like really focus on those details because it's so easy for, you know, you hire someone and they're just like, Oh, we have to care about the details, but you know, we could skip over this. It's not really that important. How do you empower your internal team to really go after those things? So I think it goes back to the maturity of the product, the company, and again, your, your vision for, for the CS team. The, the reality is we're still a young company, like the product, as I say, is not as mature as automated as we want. So in order to be successful here, you have to be in the details. You need to understand what's going on. Um, uh, we're not a company that sells, let's say, license and sit where you buy a SaaS and you're just going to go to your customer and are you happy? Like, is your team growing? Do you want to buy more licenses? Uh, that's that's a whole different business like, that has nothing to do with us. Someone that it has been a CSM in that world will not be able to provide value here. I think here... Uh, again, the CSM role is, and we have like the PS and our security analyst roles are very well defined where you have to be in the details. You have to be knowledgeable about the space. You have to be knowledgeable about the vertical and you have to be able to provide value to your customer when it comes to that. So I think to answer your question is from the beginning, we're looking at a very specific profiles 
part of our onboarding and we have a technical enablement team where we have like weekly trainings is also like how we cultivate that and how we share the information. So we always keep the team engaged. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I will say sometimes it's a little bit challenging as well. And that's one of the challenges that we will have to figure out, which is uh, in some of the large accounts, I think we want to be a little bit more strategic and less into the details. So that's, again, something that we're thinking about is like how we add maybe in kind of like supporting layer for some of those strategic CSMs so they can focus a little bit more in the big picture and have someone that handles more those details as well. Like if you really want to keep growing that relationship, then we'll need to, to get to that, um, to that particular point. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, because it becomes, uh, it becomes kind of annoying for some customers too, you know, they, they, I mean, of course, you know what phase they're going through, like growth phase and all that. And uh, they are like, talk about Microsoft. And there's so much product focus, customer centric and all. And if you have any point of contact that, you know, that is so much into the product and growth and all that, and you come about and talk about these things that they're not even aware of, that, that will number one, scare them. Number two, it will definitely raise questions and different doubts, different pictures into their mind. And uh, versus somebody that talks about these things, just like you mentioned, uh, on a bigger picture, and you have somebody that takes care of the rest. Um, yeah, I think the needs are also different to your point. I think if we look at it, some of those large customers that were, I would say, they've been around for a long time, tech companies, or even, I would say, FIs, that if we're, everything is more slower and it takes time to make any changes, then uh, I think the details are important for database and really about, hey, how we take care of the business today, but then things take time to move. So I think it's a very different profile versus uh, we also handle a lot of large companies that were born in the cloud. And even if they're very large as well, you can see that their pace and their approach, their technical led teams where they're in the details and the questions they have, they really want to have someone that is sharp that can talk to them into into details, they still have a vision about what they're trying to achieve, but I think they're the pace at which they evolve. They want to have someone technical that is going to talk to them and it's going to help to move things forward fast rather than the other large companies where everything has to get planned and is like a six, nine months. Uh, if you ask for a change, it's something that is going to take is going to take forever to get done. <laughs> so, uh, so I think that's that's also the balance going from company profiles that even if they're their spend is the same with us. Uh, their needs are mm-hmm. totally different just based on company culture and how they operate as well. You just uh, stumbled right into it. We were, we were thinking about the culture. What kind of culture did you guys have? What kind of DNA and vision you guys have set and how integrated team is the entire team uh, company-wide? Can you tell us more about it? Yeah, so I think the DNA, we, we have to make a few adjustments uh, when I came in. I think that uh, I had to make some some basic changes because historically the company was um, started in Australia, but most of our customers, like 98% of our customers are here in the US. So we're still supporting a lot of, providing a lot of support out of Australia, which was not scalable. So we had to rebalance that, um, kind of like establish the team, really get to a 24-7 live um support. So we have a center in Australia, we have a team in EMEA and we have a team in the Americas. So now we have those free locations that provide 24-7 support. I think going back to the culture, uh, same thing, we had to do a few adjustments. Uh, I've been here over 
two years. And as I say, when you double revenue year over year and customer count, then you, you're forcing to maturity faster than other companies. So I think that it was a little bit part of the culture was also um, stop saying yes to everything. Uh, stop customizing if the customer asks for something like, again, when you're a startup and you're starting with 30 customers, you tend to say, agree to everything because you don't know that it's going gonna, it's gonna to backfire later. So when you come with a little bit of experience, you, you start moving the lines a little bit and say like, yes, that is something that we can accommodate. That's definitely a hard no, because that's, that's not a scalable process for us. So I think that's when you shift a little bit the culture from, uh, everyone running with their head on fire and try to please the customers no matter what to getting to a point that it's a, it's more balanced. As I say, we really have defined our support tiers, what you're getting for each one of the tiers, making sure that if the team understands that yes, customer obsession is one of our key values, but at the same time, we have to scale the business, we have to be profitable. So that's that's how you operate along those lines. So I think it's honestly, it's just a lot of defining kind of like what success means. Like we want to monetize our services. We want to be profitable. We want to be best in class when it comes to customer satisfaction. And then we're going to enable the team to be successful by providing them training resources and all the support they need to achieve that about it. That's, that's really, I think it's just educating everyone. Like we, we're lucky that we are a size that we can still spend one-on-one time with everyone and educate them and answer questions. So it makes it easier just to define that culture. Uh, I would say I've been in organizations in the past when you have like a few hundred people reporting into you, then it becomes very hard to get to that level of understanding from all the teams because you you need a little bit of a boilerplate message and say like, hey, here's what we're trying to achieve and follow the run books and we're going to get there. I will say that's... <laughs> Yeah, I've done that in the past. I think it it shows your limits because as you scale, I think the hard part is just to keep, you will not only have rock stars on your team and it's very hard to keep that level of engagement and that quality of the people because obviously you have to scale and you have to hire more and there's a little bit of a dilution there. So that's why I think for now we're in that spot that we can handpick the right people on the team. We can make them buy into the culture as I say, we're small enough that we keep growing and we can see results. And it's that's a great thing. It's like if you're doing something well, then you get full recognition to your point about how we work with the other teams. I think there's a lot of that idea of share success. Every time we achieve something great, then it's it's a team win. And we're at that size that yeah, everyone knows each other. So even if we're 200 people, like that's still a decent size that you can really capitalize on that. I think, I will say, as you get bigger and you have more global locations, then those are the challenges that we're going to face at some point. But, uh, but for now, I think that, uh, yeah, again, we have done a good job on the culture side. Yeah. Great. Great to hear that. And, and, you know, a lot of SaaS businesses, early SaaS startups like series ABC, uh, their employees, employees, their team members, they actually recognize them with kind of one thing that stand out. Let, let's say catalyst, they have the best culture, uh, for, for their for their lower lower staff Let, let's make this so is there anything that people relate like your own people relate you guys with like your senior leadership with like what you guys are known for i, I will say the thing that we're known for is we're very accessible i think from that perspective i will say our ceo is uh 
based on your comments, like I, I look younger, but he's way younger than me. Is like 32, 33 years old. Uh, he's one of the co-founders. Uh, so I think that it, that also balanced the culture a little bit, meaning that it, it might not have like the full experience of driving a business, but obviously he came up with that great idea and he's a great driver, always pushing people and always being engaged. And he has no issue to reach out to individuals across the board. So I think that company culture that everyone is accessible, like independent of your role or your seniority, then it makes a big difference because it feels that everyone is supported to some extent. <laughs> and mm-hmm. if you have a question, like, yeah, you can Slack Kevin, our CEO, and he's mm-hmm. going to give you an answer. Like he's not going to ignore you. He's not going to go into, oh, uh, talk to that other person, I think is, is very engaged. And it shows the way. He's very engaged with customers as well, answering customer questions, jumping into channels, into discussions. So I think that it, that it also drives a little bit the culture about getting stuff done, <laughs> meaning that if we're all going to roll up our sleeves, coming up from the CEO all, all down to the other levels and we're going to get it done. So I think that's, again, it, it's something that we're at that size that that's still possible and and we're we're doing that. I think, again, go get it. Our, our challenges yeah, are going to force us to change uh, later on. <laughs> for now, it, it works fine for us. I think, again, every step, there is going to be a new challenge that is going to come up. Absolutely, absolutely. It's, it's, and there are things that are just a part of the game. You need to just embrace them and fail, fail better, and then improve the trade. So it was a great story. It was real nice having you today, uh, Patrice, uh, and especially for the technology that you've introduced, the ins and outs, and the kind of uh, team that you have built, and the way you are so specific about choosing people, hiring people, uh, you know, in terms of their background, technology uh, standards and all because it is, it is, I know that now that it is so much needed and it's critical. So I, I appreciate that. You don't have, yeah, if you don't have a lot of a lot of headcount and budgets, you really have to cherry pick people. As I say, when you're in a larger organization, if you have average players, they can you don't notice them because if you have 100 people and you have eight or 10 of those, then they go unnoticed. But uh, mm-hmm. when you have a small organization with like 40, 45 people, then you know everyone, they know all their peers and if someone is not going to perform they're going to call it out and spotlights on you (laughs) yeah it's a team effort and people are going to say and we're pretty open about it saying like hey we're going to help you like if you're if you're struggling but yeah you need to carry your weight and you need to contribute here so again i think it did a lot of that is due to the size and yeah it just you just need to spend time like even on the hiring choosing the the right people because you know that if you make a hiring mistake then it's going to be it's going to exactly. be hard on you. It's going to be hard on the team, hard on the customer. So again, if you yeah. can, if you can avoid dealing with that by spending more time and and bringing onboarding the right person, then I think that's that's way critical for us. Yeah, I mean, exactly. And that and that goes with me a lot. Why? Because I love hiring people, and sometimes it turns out good, and I love that too. But a lot of the times, uh, you know, very next day I figure out that this this guy is not a long term. Thing within, but it still takes me like six to eight months to actually get rid of that person. So again, like, like you mentioned, it becomes very hard uh, to get rid of people uh, if you make the decision in the first place, which was wrong. 
Uh, yeah, I think it's not yeah. so much the process of getting rid of them. It's really the, uh, as I say, the impact for the team because impact they know that you team. make the wrong choice uh, when it's yeah. very obvious. Absolutely. Like they're they're gonna question your leadership if you don't take action right away. So if no. to your point, sometimes you cannot make the change right away. In six eight months, you're trying to figure out how you're gonna get it out of this mess get and, it right. <laughs> and then you can have get it right. again other organizations calling out and say like well we see an issue with quality like that person is not up to to the mark so now you're getting your peers as well commenting on on all that so again like that's why even here like we made those mistakes and pretty much we had to pause and just be hey let's take our time i think that if we delay the hiring by a month or two but we find the right person and we're confident that they're the right person. We also tweak our um, hiring process as well, where we notice that a lot of people are technical, but they're not very good at communicating. So we change and we gave them like, hey, here's a deck, give us a pitch back. Uh, here's an analysis, show us how you're going to present that to the customer. So we, we make those adjustments to make sure that every time we had a blind spot and we missed something in the hiring process, then next time we are not going to repeat the same mistake as well. That's just, amazing. And I think that that's, that's some of the biggest things is it's one thing, uh, you know, to be aware of what's going on. It's another thing to then act and apply that awareness and that knowledge that you're gaining and how to evolve and, and go from there. That's, that's critical. And then one of the biggest nuggets you said that resonated with me is saying no. Saying no is some of the most, it's so important sometimes because when you say yes, you're actually saying no to other things. Um, that could, you know, give you more value and drive the value. And you could be blindsided by that because of your constant, you know, mindset of yes, 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 pleasing, pleasing, and you lose focus. So that's, that's a really critical uh, little nugget to really hone in on is no is just as important as yes, sometimes. And I will say it's the, here is no, but more important, like here is why we say no, and walking the customers and the team through the logic, because again, it's like, hey, you ask for four layer of, of approvals when we want to make a change, my answer is like, well, we cannot do that because again, we're not going to stop a particular thread for 10 hours chasing people down and you're going to complain that we're not effective. So here is why we're going to say no to that. So I think it's, mm -hmm. it's always the why and showing that if we have the customer best interest when we say no is like, no, because you're going to be happy today, but you're going to be unhappy like 10 days from now when things are going to go wrong because either we have done that in the past or we know that it's going to go wrong and that's what we're trying to prevent. So I think that the why part is even more important to the no on like, hey, mm -hmm. they've done that and here is why we we prefer not to do this this approach and again, offer an alternative or it, it is a discussion and I think that's yeah. customers value that because if you position that as we're having your best interests in mind, they're, they're going to be open to listen to what you have to say. And sometimes yeah. it goes your way. Sometimes it's a little bit more tricky, but uh, it, it helps quite a lot because you're preventing problems for you down, down the road. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and your customer uh, success operations are more relied on relationship too, because you get to uh, not only communicate, but ask them the right question and get your answers. Uh, at the right time to and forecast uh, some of the problems that may happen down the road. And for that, you need to find the capacity of that relationship. We, we call it relationship capital. So with every account, you need to build relationship capital as well. And this becomes more critical in this, this customer success high-touch model you're in, as opposed to 
SaaS businesses that are serving PLG models and serving like automated digital CS models. Uh, so this is something I see different there too. Yeah, and it's something again that it's a a lot of times when you say yes and things go wrong, people forget what you say yes in the first place. <laughs> uh, the, the example that I give all the time is like you're going to have a salesperson say like, "Oh, we absolutely have to say yes because it's a multi-million dollar contract," and you're going to say yes to it, and then three months later, everything goes wrong and. Wow. They're going to blame you for it when they were like the first one to high five you and you close like a multi-million dollar contract. So uh, I think there's both cases. There is the internal case where, as I say, people have short memory. Uh, they look at the revenue and they look at the short wins and they forget about what's going to happen down the road. So I think that's, that's again, a good reason why to say no or make sure that you document and you're very vocal about I disagree with this particular decision. And I think the other one is on the customer side as well, because um, even on the customer side, there's a lot of turnover and sometimes you're going to say yes to something and then another team is going to come after and they're going to say, why you did that in the first place? And then <laughs> have a hard time saying like, well, we didn't want to, but you forced us into it. So, <laughs> so, so yeah, yeah. There's, there's both sides of the coin, internal and customer side that when you, when you say yes to something that you're not convinced is the right decision, you end up paying the price for it. So, mm. Yeah. Okay, Patrice, I think we are pretty much up on the time. I really, really appreciate you being so open, uh, so genuine and generous about sharing this information, knowledge, scenarios. I love that. And I'm sure uh, when this, uh, once this episode will be up, it's, it's going to boom. Uh, because there's some something very concrete that we discuss in the later half. So I appreciate you taking the time today, and uh, we shall meet one more time in a few months uh, when when we think we have some discussion points, and uh, and we will talk then. Until then, you take good care of yourself. Thank you, and looking forward to it. Appreciate yeah spending time with you guys and answering the questions. That was quite quite amazing. So love it. No less than talk soon, Patrice. Be safe, be awesome. We'll be in touch. Cool. Thank you so very much for staying with us on the episode. Please share your feedback at adil at hyperengage.io. We definitely need it. Uh, we will see you next time with another guest on the stage with some concrete tips on how to operate better as a customer success leader and how you can empower engagements with some building some meaningful relationships. We qualify people for the episode just to make sure we bring the value to the listeners. Do reach us out if you want to refer any CS leader. Until next time, goodbye and have a good rest of your day.